Fall is in the air and we are already coming up on the 26th Sunday of Ordinary Time. As we move through the calendar and through the month of October, some wonderful feast days that we have to celebrate. In fact, on the glory of the Mass, we take note of this week's feast day of St. Francis. Joining me this morning to talk a little bit about his upcoming show, it is the host of The Glory of the Mass, Terry Ross. Good morning, Terry. Thanks for joining us today. Oh, it's always my pleasure, Brenda. Not only are people getting a really good just arrangement of music throughout your shows, you also spend time talking about the feast days that we have coming up, the high feast days on Sundays throughout the church calendar. And then you also focus on some beautiful saints beloved to the Catholic Church. On October 4th, it is the feast day of St. Francis of Assisi. That's correct. St. Francis is probably the most beloved of all the saints uh, because he had such a gentle nature And he was known, basically, for being uh, kind to animals. And he was known, basically, for being kind to animals and also uh, conscious of the environment. There are no pictures of St. Francis or anything except sweet ones of his feeding animals or just being uh, the sweet-natured person he was. Um, He was also known during his lifetime for his devotion to the Eucharist. He was designated one of the patron saints of Italy, alongside Catherine of Siena. I think that's incredible, especially on the morning show we have highlighted before the different saints. And while depictions of St. Francis are always of that, just as you said, very gentle with animals, feeding birds. And what also people don't know and realize is that while gentle in nature in his depictions, St. Francis also was the first to receive the stigmata, the wounds of Christ on his hands. And so while very gentle in his nature, very deeply devoted to the passion of our Lord, that is some of what you will learn on this week's episode of the glory of the mass for the 26th Sunday in ordinary time. So you always find these incredible composers throughout history that have written pieces of music in different settings this week. You've got kind of an international flavor. I think you found a composer from every major country of the world during that would have written music during this time. Tell our listeners. Not quite. Uh, There are no French composers and there are no English composers, but I do have a Swiss composer, Ludwig Zenfel, uh, Anton Bruckner, a 19th century Austrian composer, uh, two Italian composers, Luca Marenzio and Palestrina, and one uh, composer from the Netherlands, Jacobus Clemens Non Papa. Oh, you know I love that name because the Non Papa is the part that's a little bit fun. What does that mean? It's to distinguish him from the Pope, who was Pope at that time, Clement VII. His publisher wrote Clemens, but not the Pope, Non Papa. So, And he's become known through history as Clemens Non Papa. <laughs> well, you don't want to get them confused. Terry, the Mass, you said, is by Palestrina. Of course, such a beautiful music. What are some of the elements that really make, uh, that makes the music sound like Palestrina? Well, it's the very tight uh, and yet easygoing counterpoint. Pieces 
not singing the same words at the same time, but nevertheless coming together beautifully in, in harmony. Uh, Palestrina is known as one of the great contrapuntists of all time. Uh, later composers used him as an example or as a, as a person to copy to learn how to write proper counterpoint. People like Beethoven, for example, thought very highly of Palestrina. Uh, and he's not the only one. Um, because he was, he, Palestrina left us a hundred masses. Wow. I mean, we have those masses. Um, he probably wrote more than that, but he, that's, we have those because they were all published because he was so famous during his lifetime, which was basically the last three quarters of the 16th century, 1525 to, to 1590. Terry, you focus much of your episodes on the Renaissance period, but also recognize that beautiful music has been written throughout history and since that time. And we've been talking about the different uh, names, as of course, a Renaissance. And you talk about one of those pieces today, uh, Bruckner. Uh, he was a 19th century composer. Tell us a little bit about that. and We're going to preview one of his songs. Yes, he's a very uh, devout 19th century composer. And he wrote all kinds of music. Uh, but one thing that he really liked writing are graduals for the Latin church service. And he wrote a number of those graduals. And they're all very uh, muscular, I can only say, you know, um, as well as devotional. Mm -hmm. Loud and then soft. Then loud and then soft. Uh, very uh, expressive music, Bruckner. Well, I think we have a preview of one of those very expressive pieces. Yeah. What's the name of this piece we're going to preview? It's called um, Christus Factus S. That is means uh, Christ is obedient to us unto death. All right. And I think this is a good example of the soft and the loud. Here is that music. Okay, so it began, and that was actually even a few seconds into the piece because we wanted to get to that louder portion. But mm. you're right, very soft, and then not even too much of a build, just then it's loud. Now, what is that transition in music called? It's called either a sudden <laughs> crescendo or it isn't sudden because it, it does happen gradually, but gradually over a short period of time. And that's interesting that happens on the word obedience. Christ became obedient to us unto death. It really gets very dramatic on the obedience part, which oh, is, of course, the subject. Okay. And all of those, when Bruckner was writing this, so he writes into the music, so that way the choir conductor knows this is soft, and then this is loud. And all these little instructions on how it should be sung are in the music they're in the music that's 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 not the case in most renaissance music uh those things were left up to the choir director okay choir director say you have to get louder here you have to get softer here and people would then write it in their own little copies 
but it wasn't in the printed or, got, you know, it wasn't part of the music. Uh, in the Baroque period, it started to become fashionable, not fashionable, but necessary to write those instructions in to the music uh, to show the different loudnesses and people get, getting very loud or getting very, very soft. Okay. And then there are some times where there are pieces where there are solo portions of it, and then some where the entire choir comes in. Is that also written into some music, or is that left to the choir director to kind of put their own flair into a piece? Mostly the uh, composers instructed where they wanted there to be solos, but choir directors have always taken liberties with the music. So if they find a particular piece of the music, which would be really dramatic, suddenly with just four people singing instead of 16, they may do that, even though it wasn't written in the music. But by and large, the composers would have written in those solos. Well, excellent. See, once again, more that I have to learn about these wonderful pieces and written. Terry, thank you so much. Looking forward to another great week of the Glory of the Mass. Thank you for your time today. It's my pleasure, as always. And again, you will be able to listen to The Glory of the Mass this Saturday and Sunday for a complete playlist of this week's episode. Head over to matradayradio.com under the programming menu and find The Glory of the Mass. Again, you're going to find that at matradayradio.com.